Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you here today. I'm Pastor Brian. We're in our Christmas series called The Seven Deadly Sins. It seemed to make sense to us to talk about sin at Christmas time. It seems Christmassy, right? Uh, today's message, we'll get to it in just a second. But before we do that, I actually have a really uh, special thing that we want to do here at, uh, at Alpine. At all of our campuses over the last couple of months, we've been going around to our campuses and introducing our governing board to our campuses. Um, you know that, that every campus, Alpine is a multi-campus church and every campus has a leadership team at it. So Pastor Mark is the, is the lead pastor at this campus here in Syracuse. By the way, I saw your Syracuse uh, hoodie things with the AC in the Syracuse. That's pretty slick, good job, that was awesome. I want one of those. Um, but um, so Pastor Mark and, and, and then Mark has a leadership team here at the campus, including an overseer team at the campus level. But at the, uh, at the uh, zoomed out level for Alpine Church overall, so we have six English-speaking campuses, two Spanish-speaking campuses, and an online campus. So for the, in the big picture of things, we also have a senior leadership team that consists of two different groups. One is our executive team of pastors. That would include myself and Pastor Jared. Pastor John Bellis, who you guys have heard before, and then Pastor Dean Hoffman. So that's the executive team. Those are staff members, pastors on the executive team at Alpine. And then that's half of the senior leadership team at Alpine Church. The other half is what we call our governing board. And the governing board, we, we just now, in part of our restructuring, as we've tried to structure our leadership levels so, so that the future of Alpine is even better than the past of Alpine, uh, we've added this layer called the governing board, and this consists of six uh, lay people who attend our campuses, who are uh, serving, giving, uh, bought into the mission of Alpine Church. And we wanted to introduce you to some of those guys. We've got all but one of them here today. So I want to just welcome the governing board and, and have them come forward. Would you welcome them as they come forward here today? All right, so let me introduce these guys to you and where they're, what campus they worship at. This is Corey Burdner. He, he and his wife, Rhonda, worship at our Riverdale campus. They're, they're uh, marriage mentors at that campus. You guys have mentored dozens of couples. Appreciate you guys' service at Alpine. He also gives, he's the liaison for, can you tell, our security team. So <laughs> he's going to help make sure that Alpine's secure, which is one of our jobs as a, as a governing board is to make sure in this changing world where just anything can happen. We just want to make sure our campuses are healthy and secure and safe for kids and for families. So, Corey, thanks for your service and your leadership. Travis Canfield, he and his wife, Jen, attended our Riverdale campus. And uh, I love Travis and Jen and their heart for Jesus, their heart for, for the people. And so these guys are, have been small group leaders. They, they actually serve on the, on the coffee team, which is cool. I love that, that, our, that our leaders are servants. They're not just, they don't just sit on some throne and make decisions. They're servants, all these, all these men and their wives are all servants. So Travis, thank you for your leadership. Dave Nider attended our Riverdale campus years ago and then when we opened our Logan campus, he and his wife went up there because they live up in Manaway. For those of you who don't live in Utah, it's Mantua. <laughs> he lives in Mantua, but Manaway. And then, and, then, and then they helped launch the Brigham City campus, which is really kind of where they live. So. These guys have been a part of Brigham City. He's been on our finance board. He's, you've just been an awesome servant and leader. Thank you, Dave. And actually, he's preaching for the very first time 
uh, in two weeks at the Brigham City campus, so we're excited about that. So thank you for your service. In fact, they own the, um, the Fine Arts Center in Brigham City. That was our home in Brigham, for our Brigham City campus for many years before we were able to get into a, another rental facility. So thank you guys for your giving and your leadership. Jim Allison, Jim and his wife Holly attend our Layton campus. They were Riverdale folks, and then when we opened Layton, they went to Layton, which you, you guys can relate to this because we had just built our Riverdale campus, and, and these guys were a part of helping to get it started, probably giving toward it, all that kind of stuff. And then a year later, we're like, you have to go now and rent a building again. And, uh, and they did. So we just appreciate your leadership and, and for you and Holly. Holly's here today too. Thank you. And by the way, Sue, Dave's wife Sue is here as well today. And then uh, last but not least, Joel Peterson. He's actually the chair of, of this board. And um, Joel, Joel and his wife served at Layton for several years, and then when Riverdale, in this last year, when Riverdale really went through some, some, leadership, some leadership struggles, Joel actually came over, sacrificially came over, and, uh, and you guys have been serving at Riverdale ever since then, and we just appreciate you so much. Your leadership, he's a mentor. Uh, like I said, he's the chair of the board, so he, he's the one that kind of herds these cats, right? We're all, we're all still learning that. The one guy that's not able to be here today is Troy Nye, Troy and his wife Shanna attend the West Haven campus, and uh, he has, he's serving right now. He's on the worship, one of the worship teams, so he couldn't, he couldn't get out of that, but, but uh, he's, the, he's the sixth guy that you're not seeing here. So again, these guys, in particular for this campus, I want to make sure you're praying for them because these are the guys, um, among their jobs is to, is to make the decision ultimately about when we're ready to get the loan and start moving forward with the Syracuse building. So these are the ones that they approved that we would start phase one of that, which is the architectural drawings. We've been going through all of that so far the last couple of months. We'll be giving you guys updates soon enough on that. But the next phase is gonna be when do we actually break ground? When do we, when do we you know, because that's gonna mean taking a loan on, taking an additional loan on. So you guys in particular should be praying for these guys that God would give them wisdom as we make decisions like that for, for the future of Alpine Church. And we know that Syracuse won't be our last building. It won't be our last campus. We just, we're, you know, God willing, God, we're going to continue to grow and expand as God leads us. And so, so these guys will be a big part of making those decisions. So Pastor Mark, would you come up and join us as we pray for these, for these men? Pastor Jason, you're here too. Jason, would you join us as well? Did, am I missing anyone else who's here? All right. Let's pray together for these guys. Lord, I just thank you for these men. Thank you for what they mean in my life. Thank you for the role they play for me. And I thank you, more importantly, for the role they play for Alpine Church. Uh, I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom collectively as, as we, month by month, as we meet together and look at the numbers and pray together and, and really try to discern your will for the direction of Alpine Church overall. In particular, God, I pray for us as we make decisions along with Mark and along with the other pastors at Alpine, as we make decisions for this campus here, for Syracuse. We're excited that we have land. We're excited that we're moving forward with architectural drawings. And God, I pray that you would just make it clear to all of us, Lord, when it is that we need to move forward. And we, our hope is that it's real soon. And so give us wisdom. And Lord God, I pray that you would provide for the needs of this church Alpine Church overall, but in particular Syracuse campus. Bless these men. Give us wisdom as we follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.
By the way, I just want to ch- encourage you, keep giving. Be a, you know, we got year-end giving here, so be a giver. There's only a couple Sundays left. Um, and we're, we, would, we sure would love, man, wouldn't it be great if we just were like, we've got so much in our bank accounts that we can just, we don't even have, have to get a loan. Many of you already know we have, we're in better position now for our Syracuse building than we were for any of our buildings, which is great. Um, but we... But we still think, we recognize that your giving, and not just yours, but at the other campuses as well, that your giving is going to be a big part of it. So keep being a giver. Thank you for your faithful giving. And if God has blessed you this year, I know for some of you, God has blessed you um, in, a, in a major way in 2021, whatever year we're in, um, then, then, then give, give. You know, in response to God's blessing in your life, be a giver. Okay. All right. Seven deadly sins. We've been going through this seven-week series, and, and we've got two sins left to go. We've talked about, let's see, we've talked about pride. I know it bugs some people that it's not going around in, in order, but we're talking about pride. We've talked about pride, and we've talked about greed. We talked about lust. We talked about gluttony right around Thanksgiving. We talked, last week we talked about anger, and so that leaves two more for us. Envy and sloth, and today we're going to talk about the deadly sin of envy. Now, I want to, I want to start with this great quote from Graham Tomlin's book called The Seven Deadly Sins. He says this, out of all the sins, envy is different. It's different because it's the one sin on the list that has no pleasure in it whatsoever. From start to finish, envy is no fun at all. It is the most miserable of habits. I, you know, think about that. Think about this, these sins we've looked at so far. You know, pride, you've got, there's at least some, some uh, sin for a season is helpful and enjoyable for pride for a little while, and for gluttony, certainly, right? You feel good while you're gorging yourself. It's only later that you're like, oh, why did I eat so much, right? Or lust, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that, that lust draws us in, and, and lust is fun for a while. Young people remember this. It's fun for a while, but at some point you realize it doesn't ultimately satisfy. It's a shortcut to, set, to set satisfaction, but it doesn't actually get you there. When I preached the lust sermon, I was at the Riverdale campus, and I had an 81-year-old guy come up, a friend of mine there, 81 years old, he comes up to me, he says, before the service, he says, man, it's going to be a doozy today. You're talking about lust. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a doozy for you? <laughs> he said, absolutely. I said, you're 81 years old, you still struggle with lust? He says, yes, I do. And I, was, and I just said, dear Lord, is it ever going to end, right? <laughs> so it's fun for a while, for the first 81 years maybe. But at some point, right, at some point these things, you realize all these other sins have a, have a short-term payoff. This is how sin works. It has a short-term payoff, but in the long term it kills. In the long term it's destructive. But what's so interesting is this sin of envy never pays off. Even at the very beginning, envy makes you feel miserable. And so today we're going to talk about three practical ways to overcome envy in your life. And I want to start with a definition from the dictionary. We've been doing this every week, a little dictionary definition to start. Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's 
possessions, qualities, or just plain luck. So that's what envy is. So we've all, let's just, let's just take a moment, have a moment of clarity and recognize that we've all felt discontented. We've all felt resentful before because of what somebody had, whether it's a, a material possession or whether it's a quality, maybe say they have a nice full head of hair. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe just luck, like they're lucky that they have a nice full head of hair. So that's a dictionary definition of envy, but I want to I show you a, a working definition that we're going to use at Pursue God. This is, a, this is a Bible, more of a biblical definition of envy, and I want you to consider this, that envy is a feeling of discontent or resentment toward God because of someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Because really, if you think about it, if you really, if you really consider that as followers of Jesus, we recognize that anything that anyone has is a gift from God. It's not just because they're smart, not just because they're really hardworking. Anything that you have is because it's a gift that God gave you. If you don't believe that, some of you might say, well, wait a second, I work really hard for what I have. Well, go to a third world country and compare your work ethic with some of their work ethics and then compare what you have with what they have. I remember the first time I went to Mexico in high school, I saw all these, I saw this in this economy, this just abject poverty in Mexico, and I, and I was working for a week, I was working among these wonderful people who just had such incredible hearts and worked so hard, such great work ethics, and they had nothing. They had nothing. And I remember it was the first time I opened my eyes to the fact that even what I have is a gift from God, I can't take credit for it. I won the lottery because I was born in the United States of America, and so did you. You won the lottery. So it's so easy for us to live in this illusion that, well, I earned this, I worked for this, this is my, this is all because of me, because I've worked so hard. <laughs> well, talk to someone, talk to an 81-year-old, and you'll see the life that he's lived. He, he's, he, would pro he probably understands this better than any of us understand this, that even in our own economy, like we're just, you're riding the wave. We really are. Anything you have is a gift from God. Therefore, anything anyone else has is a gift from God. Therefore, if you're envious of something someone else has, your problem is with God. Because God's the one who gave them the gift. And so if you understand that, if you recognize that your real resentment, if, if you have a problem with what you do or don't have, the real resentment you have is toward God because God is the giver of all good gifts. And so therefore, step number one in dealing with envy is to turn back to the very God who seems to have treated you so badly. You're like, well, God, I can't believe you did this. And so we, we've got one of two reactions when we look out and we see what God, what God has given us or what God has given other people. We can either turn to God or we can turn against God. And I would challenge you to turn to God. Years ago when I, I was, the doctors told me I had a lump on my back and the doctors said, we're so sorry, it's cancer and it's eating away your ribs. It wasn't true, by the way. We found out it wasn't true. But for a few weeks, that's what we had in our heads. They sent us down to the Huntsman Cancer Institute to have surgery. And right the day, the day of the surgery, Chase and I were standing here at their window. We we're looking out over the valley, over Salt Lake City. If you've ever been there, we we're looking down, and we just see the hustle and bustle of all the cars driving around. And I remember feeling, strangely, I felt envy. I, we felt jealous 
that these people were not where we were, that they were just living their lives, doing their thing. And here we were dealing with what we thought was cancer. And we had the surgery and, and the doctor, the surgeon afterward met with us and he said, hey, great news, it was, there was no cancer at all, it was benign, and so I get to tell you what I hardly ever get to tell anyone. I hope to never see you again. <laughs> he said, most of my patients, that's not, what I, that's not the message. So when I walked out of there, I was the person everyone was envious of as we walked out and saw all these people who still had cancer to deal with. And in our moment when, before surgery, we had a decision to make. Are we going to be mad at God and reject God? And I can't, why, didn't you, why did you make us go through this? Or were we going to draw near to God? We looked last week when we were talking about anger. We looked last week at this story in Genesis chapter 4. In verse 3 it says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And his brother Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And it, it says this really interesting thing there. It says, the Lord accepted Abel in his gift, but he didn't accept Cain in his gift. And this made Cain very envious, but that's not how it surfaced. It surfaced as anger. Remember last week we talked about how anger was a substitute emotion. The real emotion he felt was envy, but it made him feel so vulnerable that he would rather just let it come out like anger. So last week we talked about the substitute emotion. Today we're going to talk about what he was actually feeling deep down, which was envy. He felt envious, and he looked dejected. Now I think it's interesting that in this passage it doesn't tell us why God accepted Abel and his gift. It doesn't tell us why he rejected Cain and his gift. And I actually like that it doesn't tell us because isn't that our lives? We don't know why God has gifted some people a certain way and other people another way. We, we are not God. We can't make the judgments that God makes. But we experience this unknowing in this world. We experience, and that's part of what makes it so difficult for us, if we really fully understood the mind of God, I don't think anyone would ever be envious. But we don't. And so we're left to draw our own conclusions like Cain was drawing his own conclusions. And so when someone at work gets a raise and you don't know why they got the raise and you didn't. Or young people, maybe at school, somebody else seems to have all the height. Young men, because I know for us young men, I mean, this is how it was for me. Like we were, there's something about your height and you're just like, like why can't I be taller? I've got two other brothers and I'm the shortest of the three brothers. And that always bugged me. But I'm the smartest and the best looking, so. <laughs> we don't always know why God blesses some people a certain way and other people he doesn't. And so for some of us, that knee-jerk reaction is envy and jealousy. And so God said, like we saw last week, God said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right, but if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So when envy wells up in your heart, when jealousy wells up in your heart, you can either be honest about it and turn to the God that you're really mad at and deal with it with God, or you can turn against the God that you're mad at. But if you turn against that God, then you'll never understand it, and you will, you will be eaten up by it for the rest of your life. So the first step is to turn to God and deal with it with God. 
And then the second step, I love the second step, is to learn to admire God's gifting in others without comparing them with your own gifts. That is so hard to do. I remember when AJ was eight, nine years old, he was playing basketball. He just loves, basketball was just the sport he loved the most. He wanted to be so good at it. He would work so hard at basketball. But there were a couple of kids in his grade on his team that were just, they just had a better natural shot than he did. They just did. I don't know that they worked any harder. They probably didn't, but they just did. Some people, and AJ's really good, but some people are just better than others. Some people are just, let's just admit it, some people are just more gifted than others. You can work as hard as you possibly can, but if you don't have that hand-eye coordination, you're only gonna get so far. And so one of the things that I taught AJ is I would see him play with these kids and just the natural reaction to a nine-year-old when someone else makes a, makes a shot and is acting all cocky about it. And, and your reaction, AJ's reaction is to, is to kind of jab him or be a jerk about it or whatever. And I told AJ after one of the games, I said, AJ, when somebody makes a shot and they're acting all cocky, just tell them, Awesome shot, man. You're so good. That's all I got to do. Just praise him. And so he did. The next, the next time he was out there playing with those guys, he did that. And he comes back. He says, Dad, you'll never believe. I told him, great shot. That was great. And he said, it shut him up. He didn't say anything more. And well, the other thing that AJ realized is it started to release his heart Instead of just always feeling like he was playing the comparison game because I told AJ, AJ, there's always going to be someone better than you. There's always going to be someone smarter than you. So release that thing. Don't compare yourself. Just do, just do everything you can with the gifting that God has given you. That's it. And praise God for the gift he's given you and praise God for the gift that he gave someone else. And your heart will be released so see, what you're doing is you're praising God instead of judging God. You're praising God for the gift that he's given other people instead of judging God for the gift that he's given other people. So I, I look around, I see some of you men with full heads of hair. I praise God. <laughs> I praise God for the hair that he's given you. Because those of us who, who are, look a little bit more like me, we didn't, we didn't need hair to feel good about ourselves. <laughs> Right? Yeah, we got some amens. Yeah, we got some amens. Yeah. I praise God that he gave you that gift because you needed it. Trust me. <laughs> All right. First Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says this. He's talking about the spiritual gifts that God gives to the church. He says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Are we all governing board members? Are we all worship team members? Do we all have the power to do miracles? He says, of course not. And look at what he says next. He says, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. I love that. It's like, he's, it's like he's addressing the comparison game in the context of the local church. He says, look, in the local church, God has gifted people in a certain way. Some of you are gifted. Thank you, worship team, for the gifts that you have and the effort that you put into it. But you're gifted and you lead us in worship. And what we should do is just praise God that we have at all of our campuses. I think we have like over 20 worship teams across all of our campuses. There are churches around the country that, that, are, that struggle to put one worship team together. And we have 20 worship teams. And I just say, praise you, Jesus, that you've given gifts in the church so that, so that we've got people up here who can play instruments and sing and lead us into worship. And what we shouldn't do is say, man, I wish I could sing like that person or I wish I could play. I'm always jealous of the drummers, you know. Lenny's over here drumming and I'm just always watching Lenny. I'm like, man, I wish I was like that. 
it just seems so cool to be able to play the drums, you know? But I don't think I could do it. So I look at that, and what I've learned, Lenny, I'm not jealous anymore. I just say, thank you, Jesus, for Lenny. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave us Lenny. And that's how we should, yeah, okay, good. So you guys, you guys feel that way too. I'm like, Lord, he's good at the drums and he has hair. What gives, you know? But this should be our response as we just say, thank you, Jesus, for the gifts that you've given the church. And, but look at what he says there. He says that we should desire, what should we desire? The most helpful gifts. What does helpful mean? Helpful for whom? Not you. The, gift, the whole point to the gifts is it's for other people. It's helpful for other people. So we should desire a gift not for us. We should desire a gift for other people. It's not, it's not he doesn't say pray for the most um, pride-inducing gifts. He says pray for the most helpful gifts. The gifts that God gives are for the benefit of the church. And so we should thank God and admire his gifting that he's placed in other people. Don't compare, don't play the comparison game. You'll never win, you'll always be miserable. And here's the third thing, the third step is to question the system of values that says we should envy the wealthy, famous, and beautiful. This is straight from Graham Tomlin's book and I, I love what he says about this. He says, look, the whole reason, the whole reason that envy exists is because we are elevating qualities that God doesn't elevate. We are elevating wealth to an un, un, unnatural and unhealthy place. God doesn't elevate wealth to that point. We're elevating fame. God doesn't elevate fame to that point. We're elevating beauty. God doesn't elevate beauty. And proof is right here in Isaiah 53. It's, this is a prophecy about Jesus, and it says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. If God really cared, if in God's economy, beauty was important, then Jesus would have entered into the world with beauty, but he didn't. If wealth was important in God's economy, then Jesus would have, would have been born into a palace, but he was born into a manger. God, Jesus himself, he left the riches and the beauty and the wealth and the perfection of heaven and he entered into our existence. He entered into our existence in a, in a dirty, stinky stable. That's, where he, that's how he came to us. And, th and that should tell us what God cares about. God doesn't care about those external things. God cares about more important stuff. God cares about the heart, the picture that you have of Jesus, if you have a picture in your head or on the walls in your home, that is probably not anything what Jesus looked like. Jesus did not look beautiful, good looking according to our standards, according to, according to the way we see things. At least that's what the prophet Isaiah says. And so that picture wouldn't work on our walls, would it? That picture wouldn't attract people to Jesus. And yet, we need Jesus. So the value system of God is so different than our value system, and if we could understand that, I think we would be so much less envious. And so 1 Corinthians makes it personal for us. Paul says, remember that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame things who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful 
God chose things despised by the world, like Jesus. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. If you want to overcome envy in your heart, and I hope you do, because envy is miserable from the beginning to the end, from start to finish. Envy is no fun at all. If you want to overcome envy, then look to the God who gifted all people. Don't compare yourself with the gifts God has given someone else or with the money that God's given someone else. And more than anything, just recognize that the value system of the kingdom of God is so different than our value system anyway. And God would loosen that grip of envy. And boy, what a great time for that grip to be loosened. And the time when we start giving gifts to each other. Remember that God's gift was the greatest to all of us. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus can set us free from the deadly sin of envy. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us today to receive the freedom, Jesus, that you came and died for. You, you went to the cross and died on the cross so that we could be free from all of these sins, not just these seven that we're talking about, but God, every sin that grips our heart. But envy is particularly evil because it never pays off, not once. And so, Lord God, I pray for the people who are in here who struggle with jealousy. They play the comparison game all the time. And Lord, I pray that you would free their hearts from that. God, as they turn to you, the giver of all good gifts. Lord, I pray that they would recognize how you've gifted them, how you've blessed them, and I pray that they would stop comparing that with what you've done for others. And God, I pray that in the process of that, that you would just set us free to live in a way and to worship in a way that really makes it about you and not about us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.